Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Lindsay Carter, the founder of Set Active, and this is my new podcast, Ready, Set, Spill. Finding the balance between being a mom, running a business, and still maintaining somewhat of a social life is a constant work in progress. We live in a time where social media glamorizes everything that we do, but life isn't always a perfectly curated Instagram post. And that's coming from someone who built their business on a perfectly curated Instagram feed. Nothing here is off limits, so get ready, get set, because it's time to spill. Welcome to Real Pod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick, and this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye-opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. not believe how long it has been since we've done a real pod episode on intuitive eating, eating disorders, food, our relationship with food. I definitely shamelessly got um, very carried away with the wedding festivities. So that was, you know, a handful of episodes the past month leading up to the big day. But like, I mean, can you blame me? Anyways, though, we're getting back into usual programming here at RealPod. I am very excited to welcome our guest today, Abby Sharp. She is a registered dietitian, award-winning cookbook author, YouTuber. She's got hundreds of thousands of subscribers, and she's the founder of Abby's Kitchen, where she shares healthy recipes and she debunks nutrition myths. Her YouTube channel is so good and so entertaining. She basically reacts to other people's what I eat in a days and trending and viral, you know, celebrity food content just to really provide an educational background and her opinion. And she actually did one on me. Spoiler, you'll hear about that in the beginning of this episode. But she's great. If you're a foodie and you're into, you know, a healthy relationship with food, which I hope you are, definitely check it out. Before we get started, what's up, Cora? Shout out to Cora. Also, that is like the coolest name ever. Cora left a five-star review saying, just did round two of your interview with the amazing Janine Roth. And wow, you both were awesome. Thank you for sharing. 
Cora, I cannot believe you did round two. I love you for that, though. I also have done that because Janine is so freaking wise. You have to be like really present to understand what she's saying. And multiple listens helps you really absorb. So I'm with you, girl. For anyone who's wondering what she is referencing, there are two Janine Roth episodes that I've done on RealPod and Janine is amazing. She is so enlightening when it comes to food and eating. So if you are enjoying today's episode, definitely go check out the Janine Roth episodes next. And if you leave me a rating and review wherever you listen, you just might be the shout out on next week's episode. All right, well, let's get started and welcome our guest today, Abby Sharp. Welcome to Real Pod. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? I am so good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan. And yeah, I this is gonna be great. Okay, me too. I actually found you recently when I haven't been posting YouTube videos for a while. And I don't know what I was looking for. I think I was looking for one of my intuitive eating videos. So I typed in like Victoria Garrick intuitive eating. I wasn't logged in. And the first thing that popped up was you reacting to my intuitive eating. And my heart actually sunk initially because I was like, oh my gosh, this video has like over a hundred thousand views. I'm looking at the thumbnail. Did I do something wrong? I'm like, I know that I have a healthy relationship with food and like I'm an intuitive eater. So then I start watching it and like beginning to eat the popcorn. Like I'm being canceled for some reason, right? That's just like my anxiety fear. I've done nothing wrong, but I'm like, everyone, everyone has the same, it's YouTube drama, right? Like everyone has the same reaction. And then they're always like, oh my gosh, thank you, Abby. Right. for Yes, you know. exactly. So, and then I had the same feelings because you were reacting to one of my intuitive eating videos and so beautifully describing it and complimenting me in the process. And then also adding like really insightful feedback and takes on the nutrients and what I'm craving. And even in the one video, I like had the Skittles because I wanted something Mm -hmm. fruity. And then you were saying how, what I'm probably craving is this and I could do. And I was like, Oh my God, she's so right. I've never even thought about all of that stuff. And then I thought I got to get her on the podcast. So here we are. I'm so excited. Yeah. I mean, your video was such a breath of fresh air that I had to react to it because I felt like you were able to emulate intuitive eating so beautifully. And I was able to kind of walk people through the thought process of what becoming an intuitive eater looks like. And I think it was really valuable for a lot of my viewers as well. Thanks. That means a lot because I know a lot of your videos you're unfortunately having to react to some influencers and celebrities and creators making these videos about what they eat in a day or what they eat in a week. And they're not the most healthy examples of a relationship with food. Sadly not. And that was really where like the whole what I in a day review format of mine started years ago there. I'm not going to name names, but a fellow YouTuber was eating only bananas. I don't know if she's still only eating bananas, but basically just like a banana only diet and making all these outlandish claims and suggesting it was like the diet for weight loss. And well, I've heard of this. Isn't this like the fruit girl or something? Yeah. 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 So I was like, I gotta say something about this because this is dangerous. I saw all these other young girls trying 
trying to emulate this diet and getting super sick, not surprisingly. And I just thought I need to speak up and use my expertise as a dietitian. And that's where the whole format really took place, like took off. And obviously since then, my whole kind of philosophy has changed and I've been able to kind of hone in on my own philosophy as a registered dietitian and an influencer and a creator. And I always say this in my kind of disclaimer of the, the videos. And I say that my recommendations in a what in a day review are not even specifically directed towards the creator themselves because I don't know the creator. I don't know what they eat every single day. I'm not their dietitian. I don't know if what they've presented as eating is representative of their entire diet. But I know that so many people use and follow these what I in a days and they try to copy them. They try to emulate them. And I wanted to use that popular format as a bit of a template for teaching general gentle nutrition principles in a kind of fun, entertaining way. So the recommendations I give are really kind of generalized recommendations to kind of give people some inspiration on how to build out more satisfying satiating meals. I'm so glad you said that. And let's start there with this idea people have that if, you know, a Victoria's Secret model posts what they eat in a day, that if you eat that, you're going to look like that model. Like that belief is one that people have. And I was that way. You know, I remember being in middle school and Adriana Lima posted about her juice cleanse before the fashion show. And I just thought, okay, if I do this, I could look like them. And it's, it's so false. So tell us why that's not true. Yeah. I mean, all bodies are unique. All bodies are different. And we could have 10 people eating the exact same diet, doing the exact same exercise regime, and they're all going to end up looking different. Their bodies are all going to react differently. Some may stay the same weight. Some may gain weight. Some may lose weight. Some their their body shapes and sizes are going to be different. So it's really problematic. And I always call this out when I see these wedding day videos on TikTok and stuff, when they do the obligatory like body shot, like body check. And to me, that is problematic because that's suggesting that, oh, if you eat X, Y, and Z, which I'm about to show you, then you can look like this. You can have this flat stomach. And we know that's absolutely not the case. And on top of that, do we know that the creator or the influencer is eating that specific set of meals every single day? No. I mean, I also hope not. Yes. And a lot of times I feel like they have to be lying. I'm like, there's no way you just ate that for dinner. I'm like that little bowl of greens and zucchini and a little protein, like that bowl I can fit in my palm. That's like my snack, my pre-dinner, pre-appetizer snack. You don't even know if they're telling the truth. You definitely don't know if they're telling the truth. I also feel like there's a lot of pressure on folks in the wellness space to kind of, we see like the same kind of meals repeated over and over again, obligatory lemon water, then the celery juice, then there's like avocado toast. And so it's kind of like the wellness culture bingo card. I think a lot of people feel like they need to throw those things in there to look like they are legitimate wellness influencers. Do I think that everyone eats, you know, drinks a $10 glass of celery juice every day? Probably not. And so, yeah, I don't think that it's necessarily representative of what people are actually eating. 
gosh, I'm like getting haunted by my unlocking memories. I mean, I remember when Miranda Kerr said she has hot water with a lemon because it like gets the metabolism going. And I was like 15, like boiling water at 8 a.m. Victoria, what do we think is really going to happen with this burning water and lemon at 8 a.m.? Technically, all water is important in energy metabolism, but like it's certainly not doing anything magical outside of just putting food in your body. That's kind of how metabolism actually works. So yes, there's so much misinformation. And that's another big piece of what I do on my YouTube channel is that I'm using people's wedding a days when they're like throwing in all these anecdotes about like, oh yeah, the celery juice detoxes. Oh yeah, the lemon water deep loads. And I'm like breaking it down, all that misinformation with the actual legitimate research and facts. And I'm doing that not to necessarily demonize some of these foods because they're all healthy foods, but to also point out that we don't need to obsess over minute details in our diet like that because it's all about the bigger picture. And I think a lot of the times these influencers are missing the forest from the trees when it comes to nutrition. This episode is sponsored by Element. Now hear me out, electrolytes, electrolytes. They are so important for you. Electrolytes facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, okay, including the conduction of nerve impulses, hormonal regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. And by that, I mean it has lots of salt, the good stuff. There's no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, none of that BS. So you can know you are just getting what you need, the electrolytes. Did you know that everyone from NBA, NFL, NHL players, Olympic athletes, Navy SEALs, to everyday moms, dads, exercise enthusiasts, and athletes drink Element. I have really been enjoying it. When I'm not getting enough hydration during the day, I'm working out a lot. You know, when you sweat, the primary electrolyte lost is sodium. So athletes, you can lose up to seven grams of sodium per day. And when sodium is not replaced, it's common to experience muscle cramps and fatigue. I remember that when I was in my playing days. So athletes especially don't miss out on this, but everyone, because we can all benefit from drinking Element. Right now, Element is offering RealPod listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. So that's eight single serving packets for free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share elements with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash realpod. This deal is only available through my link. So do not miss out. It is at drink, D-R-I-N-K, element, L-M-N-T dot com slash realpod. What are you seeing in these videos by mainstream influencers, celebrities that are kind of perpetuating diet culture and that you think are just like kind of ridiculous. You mentioned the bingo card. I mean, one of the reasons why I loved your video was because you provided so much additional information and insight that I felt was educating me. And it's very hard to educate people about what they're eating and not have it come across like diet culture. For sure. So for me, I always say I have an additive approach to nutrition. And when we talk about intuitive eating, like there's 10 principles, the last principle is gentle nutrition. So I really try to focus on this additive kind of gentle nutrition way of communicating kind of health information. And so I think that 
when I am giving recommendations, I'm really never telling people like, oh, you shouldn't have eaten the candy. Oh, you shouldn't. That was way too much carbs. Oh, you should swap those noodles for zucchini noodles because that's just a lot of carbs. I'm not giving advice like that. I'm saying, hey, what could we potentially, if we wanted to, add to this meal so that it is more satisfying so that maybe we didn't feel like we needed to have like kind of play catch up at nighttime. A lot of people I see on, you know, social media or YouTube, they eat so little throughout the day and then they have to play catch up with all these snacks and things throughout the night. So it's really about how do we just add in some of those, what I call hunger crushing combo, hunger crushing compounds. So I created this concept called my hunger crushing combo, where basically it's a non-diet additive approach to gentle nutrition that encourages people to add a source of fiber-rich carbs, protein, and healthy fats to meals and snacks. It's really about bumping up the satisfaction and satiety factor without having to think about the minutia of the diet. So you don't need to obsess over macros or calories. It's really just like a generalized guideline for how to build out balanced meals. And it's helped so many people. I don't know if you've seen the concept of the hunger crushing combo, but it's really just that additive approach that helps people think, Hey, maybe if I just add these nourishing foods to my diet, rather than always obsessing over back in the, you know, the eating disorder world or back in kind of that disordered eating mentality of like, okay, how little can I eat just to get me through to that next meal? So really I'm trying to focus on the opposite of how much nourishment can we bring to these meals? How much nutrition can we add? And that I think has really helped people get out of that restrictive diet mentality. And that restrictive diet mentality can be so convincing and it can be so all knowing, like it's what we were like bathed in bread in is this mindset that we have to eat less and calories in calories out. And I mean, my friend and I will still joke. We saw the same nutritionist in high school who told us this, well, based on your height and five pounds a foot and blah, 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 what we should be. And it's like, she still thinks about that as like a grown woman. And it's, it's not a healthy mindset to have. So if we're thinking about like Finspo culture, one of the videos you posted that I really was fascinated with was when you assessed Victoria Beckham's eating and, you know, something that she says famously is this is me. I eat healthy. I like salmon. I like vegetables. This is me. This works for me. I'm disciplined. And, you know, you immediately chimed in saying, you know, when we talk about thin spoke culture, it's like we are applauding people who can be disciplined and get so far into this disorder that they think it's who they are. Yeah. And, you know, speaking as someone who had an eating disorder, that's exactly like I watched the Victoria Beckham footage and the interviews, and it actually really just like hit home for me because that was exactly where my head was as well. When I was struggling with my eating disorder, I'm not diagnosing Victoria Beckham with an eating disorder, but that was the first thing that came to mind was like, those were exactly like my words. That's what I was saying, that this is just who I am. And I had identified so much with this idea of the girl who really likes salad and fat-free cheese. And like, I love all these really super healthy foods and I'm just healthy. I just like to work out and blah, 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 blah. And I just was so engrossed in that world that it just became such a huge part of who I was. And I didn't know how to escape that. It's very hard to break up with a concept that you feel is 
who you are and your identity. And so I think that's where a lot of people struggle to get free from their disordered eating behaviors and thoughts, because it does become a large part of who you think you are. But I think it takes a lot of soul searching. And this is often where a good therapist comes into play to help you really get to the bottom and get curious and dig deep and ask yourself those really tough questions. Do I really like Halo Top or do I just think that I like Halo Top because I'm so deprived otherwise? Oh my gosh. Well, once again, a triggered. I remember like I would binge the entire pints, pints yeah. of Halo Top because I mean, the whole thing was, I was like, oh my God, it's only this many calories. I'm just going to like at night when I want to binge, I'll just binge Halo Top and then it won't be that many calories. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Nightmares. Something I wanted to add to what you were just saying is not only is it who they think they are, but it's who they want to be. The way society has villainized certain foods and villainized body types and celebrated if you're thin and you eat kale and quinoa and lemon, like you're a better person. And it becomes this moral thing of like, well, I want to be good. It reminds me of almost like religion, right? When you're raised in a way where you think if you abstain from sex and you do X, Y, Z, you're a good person, you go to heaven. And if you don't, you're bad. It's like growing up, seeing the villains in princess movies being in fat bodies and then the princesses being thin. I mean, it's so deep rooted. It is. We learn these things from such an early age it's impossible to escape. So, you know, I have a lot of empathy for folks wanting to lose weight because why wouldn't you want to lose weight? Like we've been told since the time we were babies that we can't trust our bodies and we need to change them. They're wrong. There's something wrong with them. And yes, I 100%, there is a real moral play here. And I think that's really at the crux of the eating disorder orthorexia, which is what my eating disorder was where there's this need to be pure or clean and associate ourselves with kind of moral purity and moral greatness because we abstain from sugar and alcohol and caffeine or all or meat or dairy, whatever is currently being demonized. And so, yeah, I think that unfortunately orthorexia is on the rise because largely because social media has kind of perpetuated this image of what a kind of good diet is or what a clean diet is. And that kind of wellness culture is really in. We've seen diet cultures become a bit of a, like diets become a bit of a dirty word. And so we've seen the pendulum shift to this kind of wellness culture, which is at its, you know, at its heart, it is rooted in a lot of orthorexic beliefs and tendencies. And that's a problem. So let's deep dive on orthorexia. I've never actually done this on real pod. We've talked about anorexia. We talked about bulimia. We talked about anxiety, depression, orthorexia. What is it and what are symptoms and signs of it? So unlike anorexia, which is really about diet quantity. So a concern about calories and restricting calories, shrinking your body, losing weight. Orthorexia is really about diet quality. So it's about thinking about, you know, diet purity or diet cleanliness, however people want to define that to them. And so we see individuals who are struggling with orthorexic tendencies being really uneasy about other people preparing their food because they don't know maybe what ingredients are in there, what kind of oils are being prepared with, what kind of how much sugar or what kind of sugars are being added to it. We see people unable to, you know, participate in other kind of social settings that involve food or involve meals because of this fear of 
someone else being in control of that meal. We see people really obsessing over reading nutrition labels, trying to tease out, well, that's a toxic food. That's a bad food. That ingredient's going to cause this. That's going to cause inflammation. That's going to cause bloating. Really just being concerned about those individual ingredients. And there is quite a range here in how it presents itself. And so, of course, to get a proper diagnosis, you definitely want to be working with a therapist and a dietitian team. But I knew that I was struggling with orthorexia when I essentially had an unbelievable fear of sugar. It started with sugar. And then that fear basically trickled out to being a fear of added fats. And basically the number of foods that I deemed safe just got smaller and smaller and smaller. And so people with orthorexia by definition, unlike anorexia, where there's a desire to shrink the body, folks with orthorexia don't necessarily have that same desire. They just want to achieve this dietary purity for health or wellness or to even just have better control over their diet. But in my case, in a lot of other people's cases that have orthorexia, we do end up losing weight because we just have so few foods that we deem safe. And most of those foods tend to be kind of low calorie health foods. Now, what would you say to someone who thought, well, if someone's only eating kale and vegetables and fruits and nuts, how bad can it be? Absolutely. But I think that's where we have to acknowledge that health is not just about physical health. It's not necessarily even just about maintaining, you know, a normal body weight or a healthy body weight. It's not about necessarily having good blood values. Something has to be said about our emotional health as well. And when you can't participate in a birthday, a barbecue, a wedding, a family event, it's eating away at you day in and night, thinking about what you can eat, what you can't eat. And I need to bring something with me to this because I can't eat what they're serving, et cetera. Is that really serving you and your health? I would say absolutely not. I would say you're much better off having the sugar and the dairy and the meat and the whatever else it, you want to enjoy in your life than having to obsess over these minute details every single day. We need to have space in our lives, in our brain for things other than what our next meal is going to be. I love that you brought up how we define health and how we actually can determine it. Like how we define a society has been, you know, the BMI, calorie counting, the number on the scale, but really health should be measured by our mood, our energy, sleep, happiness, and those are the things you can't always see by someone's yep. body or clothing size. Oh, no, absolutely not. And unfortunately, sometimes the people who are most healthy by society's appraisal of their appearance may actually be the least healthy people I when it comes to not sleeping well or feeling stressed or having crazy cortisol levels and their hormones are all messed up and they're not getting a regular menstrual cycle, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, what you, you can't necessarily see health from just looking at a person. In fact, you absolutely cannot. <laughs> Because it's such a sneaky eating disorder and it really can be disguised as someone who has it all together and cares a lot and almost might, I could see this person educating others on, oh, you should have this and you shouldn't have this. I mean, how did you start to catch yourself? Did someone ask you about it and confront you? Did you realize it? You know, when did the tide start turning? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's actually a fun story. Obviously, I was very sick. And so while my orthorexia started out as having absolutely 
no interest or no concern over me losing weight. I lost a lot of weight. I was in danger. And so obviously my family were concerned. I was working with a dietitian. I was trying to gain weight in a clean way because of course I was worried about me eating all these like bad foods for me, but that wasn't really me recovering from disordered eating. That was me just like gaining some weight back to be kind of physically more healthy. And that was a good first step, but it it did take time to kind of unlearn some of those things. And the tipping point for me was I was in university and I was actually studying to become a dietitian because of course I was obsessed with nutrition and a lot of folks in the nutrition programs or dietitians do have histories with disordered eating or an eating disorder. So this is actually very common in our industry for various reasons. I started a food blog and I basically started to get invited to all of these, you know, media events and food restaurant openings and food events. And I kind of was having fun with the idea, but I was terrified of going out to dinner with, you know, several times a week being served food that I couldn't control. I had no idea how many calories or fat or protein or fiber, anything that was going to be in this food. And I just had to kind of make this decision that I was either going to throw myself into blogging, which was something that I was like really excited about and wanted to kind of move into that world of the influencing world, which was ages before there was like anything called like full-time influencers. This was like a long time ago when blogging was just starting. Or I can just, you know, resolve to having this eating disorder and kind of stay home and just keep up with what I've always done. And that was just to kind of restrict and then binge. And I decided to just jump. I jumped in and I started to go to these food events and I started to learn that it didn't feel good for me to eat like 10 tacos at a taco event. I felt totally satisfied to have a cocktail and a couple tacos and then do the same thing the next day because I just learned that tomorrow would be another delicious day. I was going to get to go out to another cool restaurant and, you know, another day or two. And there wasn't a need to kind of get it all in, in one go, which was really what the whole binge restrict cycle looked like for me. When you were binging, was this when you were orthorexic or, okay. So even though you had all these healthy eating habits at night, they would go out the window. So I would eat super clean and restricted all week long. And then on Sundays, I would essentially starve myself all day long and kind of get really, really hungry. And then I would have a full out binge on whatever kind of forbidden foods that I was restricting all week long, which was basically like everything. And then I would continue and have like a huge dessert until I was physically very sick. And then the next day it would start all over and I would restrict And it would be because I was just so deprived, of course, by the time I got to that Sunday, it was all I could think about all week long was like, what am I going to eat on my cheat day kind of thing? And that's exactly what it became. It became this like horrible cycle of me not eating much at all and then eating so much that I was making myself sick. And I didn't feel good any of the days, but I was justifying it because in my mind, I was like, well, I need to eat healthy and it's good for my body. But if I'm going to feel sick, I'm going to get it all in, in one go. And that's kind of my justification that I would tell everyone. I tell my family that was like, well, it doesn't like, I feel sick when I eat fries and I feel sick when I eat cheese and I feel sick when I eat sugar, but I really would like some. So I'm just going to eat all of it right now. And at least I'm sick for only one day rather than every day. And that was my mentality. And in fact, 
what I learned later was like, if I just had a cookie, I wouldn't feel sick. Who knew? (laughs) And so when you started the blog, were you literally starting that like in the throes of your orthorexia, you were going to convince people how to eat healthy as well. And then as you were blogging, you had this epiphany. I am embarrassed to say that my first blog, the name was Trust the Skinny Chef. How cringy is that? I was obviously in the throes of my orthorexia. I was like, it was more of a recipe blog at the time, but then I started to get these invites to all these food events and, you know, launches. And that's when I kind of pivoted and I was like, okay, I'm going to just do this. I'm going to be a foodie. And I was like, I'm going to be a representation. I'm living in Toronto. I was going to represent the Toronto food scene. And that's what I did. And I, and that was what helped me kind of that launching pad to help me achieve that food freedom and learn how to eat intuitively because I learned that, you know, tomorrow is another delicious day. I love that saying tomorrow's another delicious day. It's true because when you're like restricting and binging, you think now is the only time I'm ever, ever, ever going to allow myself to have double stuffed Oreos. And then I'm never eating them again. So, you know, we really have that scarcity mindset. This episode is sponsored by my favorite athletic greens. Max and I drink this religiously every single morning. For those of you who don't know what AG1 is, you're like, Vic, what is athletic greens? Athletic greens is a greens powder. You mix it with water and in just one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. I cannot stress enough how much I love Athletic Greens. I literally mean it from the depths of my soul. And this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, all the things. I love taking it for those reasons. And also just knowing I'm giving my body the important nutrients that it needs. It can be really hard to make sure that you are going to the store enough and getting like vegetables and Athletic Greens is that for me? You know, tons of people take some kind of multivitamin and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. And AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's the one little thing you can do for yourself every single day to just ensure you're taking good care. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I mean, a year free supply of vitamin D so important to add in, especially if like you're not getting enough sunlight, still working from home. Definitely don't miss out. You can head to athleticgreens.com slash real pod to snag this deal. That's athleticgreens.com slash real pod to pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance, get that free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. Don't sleep on the travel packs, y'all. I bring those with me everywhere. Going back to this additive approach, what are some other ways we can think about nutrition and the way a certain food affects us, but keep it healthy? I think I've maybe struck a good balance of knowing I'd love some vegetables here, or I I want protein, or this is filling for me. For anyone who's just begun kind of intuitively eating and fears only having cookies, but also if they think about salad and carrots, they feel like they're in their eating disorder. What's the balance? Yeah, it's such a good question. And something that I talk about a lot on the channel is how to achieve that balance. That's really one of the reasons why I created my hunger crushing combo is because I wanted people to understand that it's not all black and white. Because I know when I was struggling with disordered eating, everything was black and white. I was either having a cheat day where I was eating a whole cheesecake or I was eating on a, you know, eating clean where it was like a salad with no protein and no cheese, no dressing, 
no fun. So I always encourage people to also think about satisfaction. You need to balance those two things. And so it's really about adding in those kind of satiating things like the protein, the healthy fats, the fiber, but also still enjoying the foods that you actually inherently love. So rather than having the cheat day cheesecake or the clean day salad, I knew that I was recovering from my eating disorder when I was able to have the burger with some salad or some berries or fruit with my cheesecake. And I was satisfied and I was more satiated and I could just move on because tomorrow is another delicious day. And so by thinking about foods on this kind of moral playing field, rather than everything is black or white, good or bad, all food just become equal. They may not be nutritionally equal, but they can become morally equal and we can enjoy them in balanced meals every single day. So would you classify yourself as an intuitive eater? I do. And that's obviously not something that happened overnight. It took years to a recover from my disordered eating, but then also to learn slowly how to re trust my body and kind of hone those skills. So it was a bit of a process and it is a bit of a process for a lot of people, especially if they have a history of an eating disorder. So what introduced you to intuitive eating? So I was really, really lucky that when I was studying to become a dietitian, I had an amazing mentor. Her name was Jackie Gingras, and she taught me everything I needed to know about health at every size and body positivity and intuitive eating. And I was actually still actively sick, but she was so supportive and never called me out for it. She just kind of educated gently on intuitive eating so that I felt like I had a friend. I didn't feel attacked. I didn't feel like I was being, you know, thrown into an intervention. I was just felt like I had a friend who was showing me gently how amazing that life could be. And so I learned a lot through her. She really was probably the real spark that helped me kind of on that journey. That's so great. It's so special. The people that we meet along the way, or even like through books or through mm-hmm. social media that can have an impact on our relationship with food, whether it's one thing you hear, one TikTok video. I mean, it's powerful. So, I mean, thanks for the work that you're doing. I think your channel and everything is amazing. And yeah, I just love all of your work. I guess the last thing I want to kind of just chat about are high level. What does holistic intuitive eating look like? You know, mm. I'm very much interested in how we really do think about nutrients and how often we should be making sure that we're having nutrient dense foods. Yeah. Yeah. So intuitive eating is a mind body framework. It was developed in the nineties by Evelyn Tripoli and Elise Resch to really help people reject diet culture and regain body trust and that kind of body wisdom. That's innate when we were born basically as babies. There's actually over a hundred research papers to support the intuitive eating model for health benefits for like heart health, boosting self-esteem, reducing disordered eating, reducing emotional eating. And essentially there's 10 principles. They are designed to kind of be incorporated in a bit of a stepwise fashion, though it's not an absolute rule, but really it's going to help people build more balanced meals because by the time you get to the end of the intuitive eating principles where we land at gentle nutrition, and that's where we start to incorporate some of those uh, little nuanced nutrition tidbits. And we start to learn that we want to eat more balanced because balance just inherently feels good to our body. 
And I think that a lot of people, like the biggest misconception, one of many on intuitive eating is that it's just like, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. That's where I always see it. Like that's always how it's described by lay people or people who don't really know the nuance of intuitive eating. But I think that really does risk us turning into the hunger fullness diet. It just will become another diet. But there's actually 10 principles, like I said, and those are just two of them. And when we focus too much on just those two, like I said, like it's, we're just going to be creating more rules for ourselves. And even the most intuitive eaters will tell you that sometimes we eat like you, you probably know sometimes you eat past the point of fullness because something tastes really good. Totally. Right. And so you, you get really hungry because you're super busy. And then like, you're like, oh shit, I forgot to eat. And then you like shove something in your mouth. Or you emotionally eat because you're happy or you're sad. Exactly. So all of that is totally normal. It's totally compatible with intuitive eating. It all comes down to basically acknowledging these, these behaviors or these choices that we made and how they ended up making us feel. And I always say that I like to think of it as data. We collect the data and we move on judgment-free. So basically let's take, for example, let's say you're like rushing out the door and you grab like a chocolate croissant, you shove that in your mouth and that's like delicious. And you thought it was like really tasty and what you were craving, but you're hungry again, 30 minutes later. So a gentle nutrition, intuitive eating approach to this situation would be to say, okay, well, that chocolate croissant was damn delicious, but I was hungry soon after. So next time I'm going to add a couple hard boiled eggs in there or like some Greek yogurt And that's just going to make me more satisfied, more satiated so I can get to that next meal. So those are all, it's really just about collecting data without kind of any kind of judgment. And I think that's where a lot of people miss that nuance who are criticizing intuitive eating because it's not just the eat whatever you want diet either. It does have that gentle nutrition piece built in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Abby, thank you so much. I think you are such a breath of fresh air in the space and in the industry. And I am so happy I stumbled across your account and that you weren't roasting me, but encouraging me. So thank you. And I appreciate you coming on RealPod and sharing your story and all those insights. So thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week, seeing behind the scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real.